0: I feel like once a population where everybody has had the opportunity to get vaccinated, then, you know, I, I feel like it's on those people who've made the choice not to.
1: Welcome to the Rain Insights on COVID 19 podcast. I'm Emily Donahue. Let's listen as Rain founder David Lawrence speaks with doctors Fred Southwick and Bill Lang for our weekly coronavirus update.
2: Fred, Bill, again, thanks so much in advance for spending some time with us. Uh, I know one thing that is very much um, on the top of your mind, uh, now that we're going to the Greek alphabet, is the Delta variant, um, which people might more readily recognize as the um, Indian strain or Indian deviant. What can you share with us?
3: Well, I I guess I can start on this one, uh, Bill. But uh, this is a a unique variant. Uh, It's called the B1.617.2. And it has 12 mutations in the spike protein. But the ones that seem to be of the most interest are a tyrosine for a lysine at amino acid 478. And that one appears to confer even higher affinity for the H2 receptor than the uh, UK mutant did. Uh, And uh, as a consequence of this, and the other mutation is the P681R, which is a proline for an arginine, uh, and that's in the furin cleavage site. Now, why is the furin cleavage site important? It turns out that uh, the furin is an enzyme in host cells, and it it acts to cleave the spike protein, and when that's when it's cut at this spot, it allows the virus to internalize more readily. So uh, both of these mutations appear to uh, cause this particular virus to be forty to sixty percent more infectious than the UK variant was. So uh, that's why, if you look and and we know and in, in Great Britain and particularly London, they've now been studying this. And it indeed is 40 to 60% more infectious than the UK variant. And there's a concern that it's also more virulent. That is, it causes more severe disease. And that makes sense. If more virus can get into cells more quickly, um, it would tend to overwhelm the host and make it more severe. The other concern which they're seeing in India, and I can speak from personal experience, I'm working with a number of Indian physicians, is if it gets into a household virtually everyone, over ninety percent, uh become infected very, very quickly. So now the household contact rate is very, very high. In the US it was about fifty to fifty five percent. Now it's more like ninety to ninety five percent of households, if one person get comes into the household with this variant, everybody gets it, basically. So I think these are all great concerns. And one of the problems is you remember the UK variant, uh, we're talk where people have been. CDC has been talking about double masking. Well, this uh, it looks like only an N95 or a very uh, effective, almost respirator type of mask will be protective for this particular uh, variant. So the uh, the one good news is, if you've had both doses of the Pfizer or the Moderna, you are protected. 83, 85 percent efficacy. A single dose, you're only about 35 percent protective. So, Bill, your thoughts? Yeah, yeah.
0: And of earlier this week, it looks like the J and J also is. I mean, it's not as protective as the mRNA vaccines, but it also appears that J and J is is effective against the uh, uh, Delta variant. One of the good things, one of the good pieces of news, is that the case rate in India is down to only about twenty percent of where it was uh, just. Uh, six weeks ago, so uh, I don't know if they've they've they're, they, certainly it's not because of their immunization program. They have they do have a very effective immunization program in India, but this appears that um, while some of it may be that it's pushed out to the countryside where you don't don't count as effectively, um, at least in the big cities it appears that. You know, is this a herd immunity effect? Or uh, because it was so it was so virulent and has spread so rapidly throughout the population, but the rate is down dramatically from six weeks ago?
3: Yeah, actually, Bill, with regard to the countryside, uh, the clinic that I'm working with is in the countryside. And they, uh, yes, the last two or three days they've had more admissions. So I think one of the problems is... They may not be counting those in the countryside right now.
0: Right. And that's been an issue all along. And that's so even a few weeks ago, I think we talked about that, that that's the concern is it running up on the countryside. But but in the big cities, it's definitely going going down dramatically. And that's that probably is herd immunity effect because it's not vaccine effect.
3: Yeah, I would agree. This is so efficient at spreading. That virtually everyone is getting it in the cities where you're in close contact, and that does make sense.
0: But the the other, uh, I think, evidence that there's a problem with this is in the UK. You know, as we know in the UK, over the past two months, up until about ten days ago, the rate was three cases per 100,000 per day. And it was, it was locked in there um, for almost two months. Beginning about 10 days ago, the rate started going up. And the rate today was 11 cases per 100,000 per day in the UK. So it, it's almost four times what it was just 10 days ago. And that's corresponded to the uh, Delta variant becoming the predominant variant in the UK. Um, we haven't seen it become the predominant variant in the US yet, but I think that that with international travel and given what we do what we seem to know now about its infectivity, um I think it's probably just a matter of time until it gets over here, unless, as Scott Gottlieb said, we can beat it to the punch with um uh, getting more more and more widespread vaccination.
3: I agree this puts even more pressure and need to encourage vaccination. So any
0: way we can do that is going to be critical. But that's a problem right now because we have vaccination rates that have essentially stalled. Um, we are, the kids are start are getting vaccinated, but it's not pushing the rates up. It's, we're still sitting, um, we were at, we peaked out in, in March at roughly 4 million vaccinations per day. I guess about late March, early April, 4 million vaccinations per day. Last week, it was just over a million vaccinations per day. And that's despite opening vaccinations to 12 years and up. It is, uh, a, it's, there's a significant Significant issue with convincing people that they need to get need to get vaccinated. I so was very
3: discouraging. Very discouraging. So, Bill and
2: Fred, let me just um, unpack that because I know you have insights in terms of who is coming down with the virus now and whether they've been uh, vaccinated. What is the data actually showing in terms of um, who's coming down with the virus and um, the vaccination rates and? Are the people falling within, you know, particular age groups, um, geographically? What do you know?
0: Well, what we we are seeing I, I haven't gone into the uh, age demographics of the uh, new cases that day data is available I could I can look at it and I'll have that for next week um, but but what we are seeing is that hospitalizations have not been up the last couple of days hospitalization rates have been up but it appears that that may be an anomaly due some, due to some anomalous reporting from certain states which we'll talk about that in a minute because that's a problem um, but the, the the death rate which it's a little bit harder to have problems with the death rates um, that continues to go down. so what that's, saying, what that's telling us is that the, the cases are happening in a less at risk population. Uh, these people are still getting sick, people are still getting hospitalized. but um, CDC, for example, has shown that there were that while the case rates among adolescents, specifically um, talking about uh, um, 12 to 16 year olds has gone up. It has and in fact the twelve to sixteen year old case rate has been higher than the the five to eleven year old case rate, uh, which was not the case earlier on in the uh, in the pandemic but the, while the case rate has gone up, there haven't been any deaths associated with it, even amongst at risk population
2: bill we had um, we've been discussing the fact that um various states. Various communities are no longer reporting data as, um, as assiduously and on as a uh, timely basis as they had been. And I'd uh, be curious what you're seeing out there, at least here in the United States, and what are the implications uh, if, in fact, real-time data is not coming forward?
0: Well, and that's just it. We're seeing data still at a at a weekly level, so it should still be reasonable to do rollups of data on a week to week basis, um, and not on a but not on a daily basis anymore, at least at a national level, because there it will be it will not be comparable to previous weeks. But I, there's also a case to be made that are are we tracking the same thing today that we tracked just three months ago? We're looking at cases. But three months ago, when you had a case, it was fairly evenly distributed amongst, the, or we knew what the distribution was amongst the population. And because the immunization rate, even amongst the at risk people, was not high enough to have, a, have that significant an effect. Today, we have, we're almost, almost all, and I'm talking 85, 90% of the at risk population are, in fact, vaccinated. So what we're seeing, we're seeing case rates now. We're not seeing case rates amongst a population that has lots of at-risk people. In fact, what we're seeing is case rates amongst a population that is not at risk for Severe disease and death. Now, in the United States, we're looking at primarily the uh, the the UK variant, not yet the Delta variant. That may change the change the calculus on that. But for for now, we're, it's you can't do the direct one to one comparison between case rates in, of uh, June and case rates that we talked about in January February.
3: Yeah, I, I would agree with Bill on that and. What's happened is those 65 and older, the percentage of vaccinated in many parts of the country is uh, 85% have at least gotten one, and is somewhere around 75% have gotten two shots. So uh, the elderly, the, uh, the, which are the group that were more likely to be hospitalized and to die, are, are now protected. So we're looking at the, the people that are more susceptible are less likely to get severe disease and more less likely to to die from the infection
0: right we 've gone from hospitalization rates as high as forty per hundred thousand in the United States averaged overall in the uh, ja- in the january time frame now we 're looking at six Hospitalizations per hundred thousand. I mean, that is down to levels that are more comparable with um, with flu season, not with not with what we saw early on in this uh, COVID epidemic. Uh, Speaking of that, one of the big considerations is going to be: you, when does this become much more comparable in terms of? of disease rates and uh, hospitalizations and death rate to flu. And what we know is for immunized people, those rates are all much lower than they are even for immunized flu. It's still high, it's still much higher for those who are not immunized. So again, this becomes uh, critical that we get people immunized, and it 's unfortunately there 's just so many people out there that are resistant to immunization
3: yeah I, I agree with bill it's uh, remember this ha, this virus has a reproductive rate of two to two point five for the wild type and probably three to three point five for the u k variant and possibly five for the delta uh the delta variant now influenza is about a R I i think bill about 1.2 so it's much less infectious so and the efficacy of the vaccine for influenza is somewhere it's varied between 50 and 70 percent the efficacy for these viruses for serious uh, for this virus for serious disease Uh, hospitalization and death is 100%. So uh, the difference between vaccinated, unvaccinated is very large. And the risk benefit ratio is, is, uh, the risk is very low and the benefit is very, very high. And anybody that goes over the true facts would, should want to get the
0: vaccine. Fred, I'll I'll let you take shots at me on this, but I'm a little bit palace on this one i feel like once a population which is not universal at all once a population has had we're at the the point where everybody has had the opportunity to get vaccinated then you know I, i feel like it's on those people who've made the choice not to yes there are going to be there's a small number who for medical reasons can't that's a very small number so I, I feel like we, we still need to want to keep the number down because people still get, can get infected and spread it, um, even if vaccinated. But that's a very, very low rate. That you know, Do we really need to, to have significant restrictions on uh, economy and society and activities that people want to do amongst those who are vaccinated because we're still protecting those who have made a choice not to get vaccinated?
3: Well, the one issue, Bill, is the, uh, the generation of new variants or the spread of more virulent and more aggressive variants. And that's where the fact that a certain percent are not vaccinated uh, could become a problem. And if we get a, uh, an, a variant that escapes from vaccines, in other words, vaccines do not protect against it, then we're all in trouble. So the problem with the, the group that's resisting vaccines is they have a potential to endanger all of society.
2: So um, let me simplify the message. If everything you're seeing in the data, if you have been vaccinated, you're safe. And if the virus jumps, and, you know, for some reason you do contract it, uh, the, all the data says it's not resulting in death, hospitalization, or serious illness. And somewhat ironically, the people who are not taking the vaccine are in fact more at risk to themselves, are at risk to themselves and to other people who have not been vaccinated. And with the one caveat around that, Fred, is the one you are stating, which is if many people uh, are not being vaccinated, the risk of the variant or variants jumping, morphing, and becoming a bigger problem increase. So yet a reason to continue to keep the pressure on to have more and more people vaccinated. Would that be a fair summary?
3: Yeah, that's, uh, I, yes, David, that's an excellent summary. And one of the areas, just to uh, go a little beyond this, one of the major issues that we're encountering, and I know you you're advising on, is the problem of the workplace? And are you going to have two populations—one that's wearing masks and one that's not—and what does that mean as far as a cohesiveness of the work uh, of the workforce? And what does it mean about uh, whether or not someone's going to uh, be truthful with regards to whether or not they're vaccinated? And if they're not truthful, then they are risk, risk themselves and others that are unvaccinated. So it's, it's really uh, a real conundrum and really has the potential to uh, create a, s- a sense of antagonism among members of, of a workforce.
2: Bill, I know you're dealing with some of these issues as well. Um, advice for employers.
0: So, yeah, so this is the one where uh, the recommendation that that I've been making and as in a number of cases the um, HR lawyers have supported is to say that that you must wear a a mask and social distance in the workplace, period. However, if you are vaccinated, then you do not have to wear a mask or social distance. Now, that gets back to my philosophy of... The people who are not vaccinated, with the very small exception of those people who have a medical, contra- medical or religious uh, contraindication to getting vaccinated, um, they're putting themselves at risk, not to a great extent putting everybody else at risk, except for the caveat of the uh, potential to help increase the risk of a new variant. Um, that does mean that the people who do have a medical contraindication, which is well less than 1% of the population, um, and those that have a deeply held religious objection to getting vaccination or, or getting this particular vaccination, they need to be accommodated. Um, and that is that is a typical ADA, uh, Americans with Disability Act, accommodations that need to be made, but workplaces know how to do that. Um, but otherwise, uh, I've been advocating letting people who are vaccinated take their masks off
3: bill i bill i completely agree with that and and what you said i think in the workplace this makes perfect sense and that uh those that are vaccinated shouldn't have to wear a mask and those that aren't vaccinated vaccinated uh should uh if they want to protect themselves if they want to endanger themselves that's their
0: choice and and my my hope is that that will further increase the uh, the rate of vaccination. I think especially as we still have a um, uh, an authorized but not fully approved vaccine, everybody feels that they're in a very difficult position to require to mandate vaccination. Even though um, the, the US uh, EEOC has said that you can do it, and most lawyers are saying that you can do it, um, I think people feel very uncomfortable with mandating an authorized vaccine. Now, over the course of the next couple of months, what we're what we're hearing is that, that at least for adults, um, the, that both of the mRNA vaccines will likely be approved. Um, once that happens, then there may be some more pressure, especially on things like school. Do we include this as a mandatory school vaccination for um, uh high school-aged kids we are hearing that m- many i don't know if i could say most but many colleges are mandating vaccination for the students although interestingly they are not mandating vaccination in many cases for the for the faculty and some of that gets into the OSHA to the uh, workers compensation liability issues because if you do mandate a vaccine and someone has a problem with the vaccine uh, then the the organization mandating it has bought that expense for however long that may be.
2: All right. There's a lot to uh, unpack, and we'll probably save this for the next session. But apropos, um, I felt it's somewhat ironic. OSHA, I think, is uh, just starting to provide uh, more than a year later some guidelines for the office space or is thinking about it. Um, Number one. Number two, um, I sort of dove into some of the reasons why people are not being vaccinated, at least the online reasons. Um, And although I had heard about it, I was a little bit taken aback uh, by what appear to be a large number of followers who believe that the vaccine is part of a uh, government conspiracy to inject um, microchips uh, inside of people that in turn will track them. Uh, I also note there are a number of professional athletes who have not uh, been vaccinated uh, out of concern that this will interfere or impede with their professional performance. And uh, I would, you know, further note that uh, even in some of the world's leading professional organizations, there are otherwise uh, highly intelligent people, Uh, who have just said, I'm not doing it. Uh, I don't trust the data yet. I don't trust the amount of testing and protocols. And in essence, they're also just saying that they have a um, abiding distrust uh, with government approval process and having seen too many times where things have been approved for the marketplace only to be recalled or rescinded or conflicts of interest who have been exposed. So obviously, that's a complexity of, uh, uh, of matters and uh, the issue of mandatory or non-mandatory, which uh, Bill and Fred, I'll mention I'm going to a baseball game tonight, uh, and you've told me it's safe to do so because I've been fully vaccinated a number of months uh, now. I will bring a mask. I'll keep it on uh, probably the entire time unless I'm eating or drinking. Uh, But interesting to get into the ballpark, Uh, I have to show uh, proof of vaccination, uh, either the certificate or a photograph on my phone, or uh, proof of having been tested within the last 72 hours. Uh, And I haven't heard, it's interesting because I haven't heard uh, a great deal of protests from baseball fans of this particular team or going out to see the team uh, about those uh, requirements. May beg a bigger issue in terms of whether there are a lot of counterfeit documents floating around and people feel they can get in by forging um, a photograph on their phone or whatever. But I throw that uh, to you for consideration um, uh, next week, unless you have some quick comments, and then I just have a a closing question.
0: Again, my, my only quick comment would be that if someone is forging their their vaccine certificate in order to not protect themselves, the primary person that they're putting at risk is themselves. But the, and the, uh, the secondary people they're putting at risk is others who have made a choice to take the risk and not get vaccinated. They are not putting at risk to any significant level those people who are taking the prudent course and getting vaccinated.
2: Just in conclusion, people uh, continue to wonder about making summer plans. Um, A lot of families have been separated. People want to uh, whether drive or or fly. Uh, People are talking about opening up uh, Europe now and things like that. Uh, Any advice um, just in terms of
3: making plans, often with non-refundable airline tickets? Well, I can speak for my own family. I have, you know, we, uh, I have a number of grandchildren and children that we want to get together. And I've said, we don't get together if everybody's not vaccinated. That can be. Now, that's obviously the very young children will not be vaccinated, but everyone else should be and will be before we get together. And I think that eliminates a lot of the logistic problems that some families may have. And remember, prior to the vaccine, there were a number of family reunions where uh, several members died as a consequence of such family reunions. So uh, the issue of vaccine, I think, is truly a life or death issue among families.
0: And in addition to that, I'm you know normally I'm fairly um, open-minded about about doing things, and I probably haven't been as as strictly. Uh, restricting things as much as others have been. But I'm a little uncomfortable with international travel right now until we, as long as we can still keep pushing our vaccination rate because since the Delta variant has not gotten a good foothold in the United States yet, the way that we can keep that from happening is by keeping down the amount of travel. It's not going to be, we we do have travel, so it is going to get here. And once it gets here, it is, going to be likely to take off and become predominant unless we've gotten so far ahead with the vaccinations so if we can do like new york is doing we're going for 70 percent of the adults um, that's going to be that'll have a uh, a major impact uh, but we've got to get places vaccinated and i I would really want to do that before we what wide open to travel internationally
3: Uh, i would i completely agree with bill on this Well, guys, thank you again
2: uh, for a very informative session. Look forward to following up uh, next week and, you know, particularly appreciation for your attention to the data and the various trends and helping us keep ahead of uh, important uh, uh, insights. So thank you again. Just have a great weekend. Stay safe.
3: Thank you, David. Thanks, David.
1: Dr. Bill Lang is an expert in public health responses to biological incidents, including pandemics. Dr. Fred Southwick is an infectious disease specialist at the University of Florida College of Medicine. Both doctors are part of the Rain expert network. Individuals and organizations turn to Rain for risk intelligence that cuts through the hype to focus on what they need to know, what to expect, and what to do. Sign up for our coronavirus solution and get critical information on the COVID-19 pandemic delivered daily. Visit us at RAINNETWORK.com. That's R-A-N-E-Network.com. I'm Emily Donahue. Thanks for listening.